spike is entirely spike. too much. Spike, spike, spike. So now let's see, mic technique. Your uh, mic technique, according to DJ, is exceptional. Talk into your mic, baby. I'm talking into my mic. Okay. I was too loud last time. Are we? I was like, Wah! and then you were all blah, 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 blah. I needed to be less. I don't know. I think it sounded balanced. Anyway, so um, for it, this mic technique stuff is a bit of a visual gag, isn't it? You can't see it if you are. Are we starting the podcast, Paul Atkins? Yes, we are. Hey, welcome to the Atkins <laughs> Labcast. The Labcast. We got a name. We got we a are logo. Casting the lab. We're no. casting the lab. Um, and um, uh, this would be episode two. Episode two. Yes. Episode two. And, and um, we need to make sure that we split ourselves between the lovely creatures who are listening to this in their headphones while they're working or yeah, because the toilet, and the creatures who are over there in that yes. their camera. Exactly, because we that we're doing a video recording as well. Because the last, the no last, one, you know, no one's watching the video. Yeah, well, do you know what? Somebody's bloody watching it because everybody told us to do it. So now we're doing it. Okay, and they can friggin' so see my outfit gag. each time. The visual, uh? yes, it's a nice outfit, right, and your hair you. looks great. The hair vis- is exceptional today. The visual gag is Kate's terrible at talking into the microphone. So that's right. <laughs> you, you, the audible, Listen, you probably hear that too. You know what? It's the mic's fault if it can't keep up. You okay. know, maybe now, see these yellow levels here. You don't want it to. go I'm up. trying not to. You said I was too quiet, and then I got too loud, and now it's all that's fucked fine. up. Anyway, okay. so this is this is an episode where we have an interview. Um, so. We're going to talk for a That's sec. That's what we're going to do every episode, aren't we? Well, we're going to try. There'll be episodes we talk about other stuff together or maybe we have a guest in the studio here. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that'll never happen at this point. Well, not, well, as long as we get 1.5 metres apart because social distancing. Okay? But we live together. I know, but that's not about us. It's okay. it's about the guests and having guests in here. So, yeah, yeah. And technically happens. we've got a long cable in our mic thing so we could have someone across the other side of the room. <sighs> Isn't that a gathering of more than two people? Oh, yeah. yes. So we you can't even do that. screwed it up. Okay. So um, we're at the middle of, uh, well, the beginning of the virus here in Adelaide. The beginning of the virus well, It's only here been two weeks, hasn't it? <laughs> and all the craziness. We're at the still- beginning of the virus. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. All right. Sure. We're at the beginning of the, stop looking at the little wiggly bigglies. We yeah. can see them on his screen. I'm, I, I actually, on his screen you know, are the up and downs of what sounds I'm we making. We don't need to talk about that. he's all worried about what we're, sounds we're, I'm We making. just need to talk about the fact okay. that I'm feeling like we, You're feeling. we probably shouldn't be operating as a business because I think we should be shut down because we've got a lot of people working well, here and yeah, you know there's I 14 know. people plus us four and the place is big enough to, keep, to follow all the mandated rules of two square metres. So let's just be clear. We live upstairs. Four square metres. We live upstairs yes. with our, f- our freaky little teenagers. They're not freaky. They are a little bit. I like There's it. There's nothing it's freaky about our kids. Um, and uh, they have not been down the stairs in like Two weeks. three weeks or something. Um, they are uh, isolating really, really well. They think it's great. Their university, well, uh, their university senior college which is the school attached to uni, they've been doing online education for a little while now and yeah. ramping up. So it's they're great. Anyway, yeah. but we've still got all these people down here. So, yeah, so we have a we have a big space. So the, the footprint of the lab is 1,200 square metres, which is pretty big. So it's not like we're jamming everyone into one little tiny little shop. Um, everybody has at least, if not four, probably five square metres around them. Yes. Um. And we've and changed the way we're doing. We have a little front shop that's like our retail space, which people can kind of come and go. They drop in, and it's generally nanas. 
Not that there's anything wrong with nanas. I love no, nanas. No, no, no. They come in but they shouldn't bloody well be out of their houses, idiots. But anyway, so aside from that, they can't. They can come in, but they don't touch anything. And we have one at a time rule. And there's only one staff member in the building at one time. And one staff member in the building. You mean in the like, front no, room? No, no, no. In the front room. Yeah. Yeah, and and the place is cleaned down after everyone that comes. Every in. hour, Laura, who is our little my little OCD buddy. Queen of clean. Yeah, she goes around and she cleans everybody's workstations. Well, actually, no, she's doing the front and they're Has. doing the middle and then the other guys are doing out the back. Yes, yes that's right. So everyone's doing kind of their own little nook and then we've got these throwaway cloths because everybody's got all the bloody wipes. So we're spraying everything down and the throwaway cloths and gloves and everybody gets all chucked out. And that happens every hour and we're not doing any food at, in yes. the kitchen anymore. People are eating at their... We're, be, we're being pretty pedantic about it. Um, well, rightly so, because we could be quite a little exchange here if we're not careful. So the, the, the poor staff are all uh, red raw from washing their hands and, and worrying about stuff. They're wiping jobs down before they leave. We've got um, jobs going into quarantine. Yeah, jobs coming in a quarantine. And also, um, like, when we get big packages of supplies, they're going and the girls aren't touching them for three days. Yeah. Because well, three days. What's three days? Look... <laughs> You know, well, three days would be three days. What do you mean? What I'm saying, days? what's the recommended? How long? Things I don't quarantine bloody for? know. It's all up in the air. Anyway, we so do what we can. We are, and I'm struggling with the idea. And that the film. Don't forget the film. What are we doing for the? Because well, you, you know, filthy photographers, you spit all over your film, don't you? One twenty film. You've got to lick the paper. You've got to lick the, the paper. Really? We're still yeah. licking things. We are still licking how things. How is that a thing? So when that comes in, that's quarantine for three days and handled with gloves and then uh, disinfected as can be. So we're we're struggling a bit physically with doing it, and we're worried about it. We hear some photographers. Um, not working, some photographers being critical of other photographers are choosing to work. Yeah, and if some photographers going and I heard somebody was bitching at me this week about how people who were never into elopements are now doing elopements and so people who are traditional photographers for weddings are really pissed off at the elopement people and it's just like, come on, oh, kids. I mean, it's, look, I... There's, a, there's, there's enough pie for everyone, I is just, there? Well, no, I don't, I don't think... I don't, taking the business side out and talking about safety of the world and our little state and and our industry, um, I think if people can do a family portrait without, you know, keeping the social distancing, one photographer and the nuclear family who live in the house together. Yeah, but isn't and that they a gathering more than a gathering of two? With one, yeah, but it's a, it's a family, it's a nuclear family. It's not a gathering of different people from different households. Yeah, I suppose. So one photographer... Um, I don't know, the government the makes it outside. super hard to actually work out what yeah. he classes and the, as a gathering. And the government kind of suggests that where those home. running businesses are essential services because they're providing employment. So we're, we're really struggling with the idea. Frankly, we can't afford to, to shut the doors. Yes, we could put everything on pause. Yeah, but, but if we are told to, we will. Like that's 100%. just obviously. We don't, 100%. We're not breaking any laws at the moment. We're following all the rules and we've got yeah. HR people telling us we're doing it all right and yeah. – all that guff, it's just, it's a bit of a minefield at the moment and we're trying, yeah. I think, to do the right thing. And there's, there's also, like, you know, like, my kids don't understand why they can't see their friends and my <laughs> my stalker, <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> my stalker Jenny, my bestie, um, is like, when will this be over? Because I haven't seen my friends, I haven't seen my sister, I haven't seen my nephews, I haven't seen my mother in weeks and weeks and weeks, yeah. and it's just—it's really tricky. Yeah. The point is, we are on tender hooks. We're being super careful here, and we don't think if a photographer chooses to go and shoot a, a family in a park, and they can maintain the distancing using long lenses or 
whatever it is. I, you know, who am I to say that they're particularly doing the wrong thing? But of course, they they are taking a risk by doing that. So yes, they perhaps are doing the wrong thing. I, I don't know. But I, it's also it's also that thing of like minimizing the risks versus like because it's not making the virus go away completely. It's about stopping the exchange of the virus. Yeah, flattening the curve or whatever. But the like for instance, I, my mum and sister are both high risk, so I do their shopping. So like the, it's not like. So I do all their shopping and then I wipe everything down with cloths, like um, antibacterial wipes, and then I give them all the food. And so that's cutting people in the supermarket, visits to the supermarket. I do it only once a week so that it's limited and I do it, it takes me all bloody day with all these restrictions. I can't have more than two pieces of minced meat. Listen, Australia, you seriously, you know you can cook things other than minced meat. Like it's fully a thing. There are other cuts of meat. I can't yeah. believe I can't get, make any fucking bolognese because all you dumbasses are out there bloody buying minced meat and nothing else. Yeah. And there's a lamb shoulder. Get a lamb shoulder, stick it in a tray, put like two cups of water in there, stick it in the oven from like lunchtime, from like 12 o'clock, put it in there, 150 degrees, just sit it there, don't touch it, put some salt and all that sort of shit, but just leave it there and then at dinner time, Five hours later, it is literally the best thing you've ever eaten and you can get fancy with garlic and all that crap. No mints involved. Sorry. Okay, so back from recipes. <laughs> before we before we talk about Sai and Sophia, oh, yeah, yeah, our yeah. guests. Yeah, we're supposed to be keeping these it, bits tight, remember, Atkins? Yeah, tight. Yeah. Um, it's almost 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, is there anything um, that's going on in the lab here that's worth mentioning to people? We're still farting around with Rose. It's driving us all crazy. Um that's changes. our online ordering software. So this yeah. is, the changes are around about albums and yeah. the way we order albums. So that's going to change pretty dramatically soon. Um, it's it not. Be, it'll be really good. It's going to be really cool and simplify things uh, and make it a little bit and more add, understandable. Make it easier to add things yeah. like book plates and translucent pages and all that garbage. Yeah, all the accessories. So so we got that going on. And um, the graphic covers. I've got a whole bunch of stock graphic covers you can now get access to as well which is cool, but that, I mean, they're on the website. Oh, that was me hitting my mic. I'm so sorry. Um, you, you can um, <laughs> you can get access to them all on the website. You can see them, but they're not in available for Rose yet. Cool. Um, Cy Moore. Yes, yeah, Cy Moore. So hang on. Is his name Cy really? No, his name is Simon. But he goes Why by does he Cy. do Cy? I don't, I don't know. know. It's very it's cool. cooler. It is. Because he's the king of cool. i got to say, I don't think I've met uh, a cooler couple in my entire They life. are literally... Like freezingly cold. So how, how did you how did you come across Simon in the first place? Bailey Moore is their business. Yeah. So Simon. Oh, by the way, links will be in the show notes too. Yeah. All, all of this stuff. Yeah. And, everything and last we, week's. Yeah, guff. and everything we talk about in the interview with Sai we that I can, I've got notes. links in the show notes. So you and you can, can see them on the website, or you can see them on the. If you go to your little app, you can usually see. Yeah, but they go to Atkins. Like if they want to go to the, the show notes, mm. you'll find that atkinscomau slash blog. What are you looking at me like that for? Oh. It's on the podcast. If you click on podcast on the homepage. On the homepage of our atkins.com.au, not atkinsprolab.com. No, just the atkins.com.au. Okay, cool. So we 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 were looking at Sai in the Instagram world and thought, man, here's someone doing some very Yeah, cool so things. he followed and said something nice to me or something on, on Instagram. You're farting around with my mic you again. You talk into it? I'm talking into it. Oh my God. That's a visual gag. Yeah, that, yeah, I know it's a visual gag. Shut up. So, 
Um, I, he followed me on Instagram and I was like, oh, my God, this person's too big a deal. He's a big swinging dick. I can't deal with this. I can't message him. I can't anything. And I'm a real, like, I don't know, I get intimidated by these ridiculously cool people and I just kind of go, ha, ha, ha nice shot. Um, so there was a bit of that for, like, couple of years and I loved his double exposures and all that stuff. Yeah, but so, he was so he's doing he had some in, in deal camera. with Richards for a while and so I was like, whatever, I don't know. And then we went to a workshop. Yeah, so the um, invitation to go and support a workshop in New Zealand. No, start again. Oh, we, <laughs> Your memory is like a fucking civic and Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. Mount Hotham, Mount Hotham. Yes, Mount. Now what, what was that barefoot. workshop called? Barefoot. Let me write this down because we've got to put that in the show That notes. was Barefoot and Bearded no, Exposed. Expo- it's exposed, no? Exposed Mount- Adventures. Exposed Adventures, Barefoot and Bearded and <laughs> uh, Aaron Shum and Kelly Tunney. Yeah. Tons, of, Tons fun of fun was, was there. there. And um, oh, we're being bad. There were no, a heap of other people there. James Simmons, Jimmons. Yes. But main thing is we met Sophia Hi. and Cy. Yes. we did. Cy and I may have done a lot of... Bitching and sniggering in the back of the room about all sorts of things like. Yeah, they were the bad know, kids in we the were, class. <laughs> we the may or may not have been a bit naughty for a while there. But you know what? I blame him entirely. Um, no, and they were just they were just really lovely and um, uh, and very kind of open to chatting and doing cool stuff. And we had Ollie's book, you know, that little we had the little book, the, you know, that beautiful This Is What Love Looks Like portfolio piece. Yeah, that's that we right. Did it's, it's like his own, um, it's his portfolio yeah. that he would take along yeah. to weddings. And, and so I saw that and loved it. And then we just clients. had a really good time at the, yeah. at the thing. But then he invited us to come and be a part of a workshop he was running in New Zealand. Which was just him and so running it. Yeah, they were running it. It wasn't a Which pu- is like completely yeah. fucking unhinged. And on the side of a volcano, I think was the way it was described. The side of a volcano that then we almost got bloody... Snowed in at. Snowed in at. And I sadly was very close friends with... <laughs> no, I wasn't. That creepy guy that ran the thing. No, he was fine. He was fine. And there was a, f- a Michelin chef rated... Michelin rated... we have been working in Michelin rated restaurants. I may or may not have stalked the chef just a tiny His bit. His name is Zane. I was, I was just a tiny bit obsessed with the chef. Aside from the fact that he was very, very, very adorably cute. Um, even though he was like 12 years old. Zane, his name Zane, is. Zane, but he could cook and I have major cooking issues and he was so smart and yeah. his food was incredible and I just would stand next into the kitchen just looking at him chopping shit. So there's 30 of us in this ski lodge, which was not a public ski lodge. It was a, for private members only. There was three lodges on this side of this hill. It was like the 70s. Yeah, you, nothing had nothing been touched had since, since the 70s. It was there insane. was no hot running water for... An extended period of time. That's because the coal-fired, <laughs> or oh. the auger that That's right. We're in drives the, most the fuel New into Zealand the Zealand, and it's all pristine. And this guy's just fucking throwing buckets of actual, actual coal. I'd never seen actual coal before. I know, I know. It was actual coal. It was coal. Dickensian. Oh, it's but it was just... actually it was actually wonderful in its own way. And then we photographed models up on the mountain and had a great time and had spent a lot of time around the philosophy of photography and the like. And you'll see that. You'll see that. You'll hear that. In our discussion, in my discussion with Cy. There is um, a video, but it's just your two fat heads looking at each other. We had a couple of nights together <laughs> with Cy and Sophia separate. You and Cy had a couple of heads. nights together. <laughs> I just got that. Um, 
and we had a we had a lovely time. We we cooked with them, and we. Oh yeah, we, you and Sai bonded in a major. Oh yeah, we bromance. went we went fishing. It There's was a beautiful. major bromance happening. Right until I fell into the river and my glasses floated off. These are actually my new glasses. They floated off. That's right. Um, uh, and some fish in the mountain streams. And you could have died. And I could have died. But so I was there looking after me, trying to get those glasses. And you caught an actual fish. Caught lots of fish. And you cooked it and we ate it. We cooked it and we ate it. We ate it for dinner. It was heavenly. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Anyhow. uh, Anyhow what? Okay, so you and Sai are going to yak. Yes. And that's going to be fun. And And then we'll come back and talk a little bit more, hopefully more briefly because now we're at... 16, 16 minutes and minutes. 32 seconds. Bloody So um, hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, yes. Hey, look, if you, uh, if you want to make any comments or blogs, the comments are live. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. Oh, and rate and review and subscribe. Oh, no. Subscribe and rate and review. Tell subscribe your friends. Subscribe and rate and review. Yeah, tell your friends. Okay. And do all that. We'll be back in a minute. To back in a minute. Again. Oh, back in an hour because it's an hour. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so let's start this Simon, all the way in New Zealand. All the way here in lockdown and shut down. Shut down, lockdown. And here in Australia, we're not shut down, lockdown. I was super keen to, to speak to you for an absolutely ton of reasons, but the nerd in me is because you see the sun before we do. And I think it's a really, really lovely thing and a lovely, like a grounding idea um, to think about the world as, as, as the light passes around you guys who we often look to New Zealanders as leaders in so many things. And right now, and I said this is not going to be about our current situation, but right now with the coronavirus, everyone wants to move to New Zealand. Actually, your biosecurity, everyone wants to move you to New Zealand. You're the last, last place, aren't you, on earth? Times like these, you want to live on an island. Um, you want to be small and you want to have a female prime minister because – Mums just get shit done when things are just hitting the wall, you know? They do. They do. What, what, what do dads do? You know? yeah, dads, dads are just like, oh, oh, you kids, bloody hell. Um, oh, here, have some chocolate. <laughs> Which, is, um, yeah, mums are like, okay, team, here's what we're doing. Do your washing. Sit over there. Shut up. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? And I, I've, there's something about, and I visited New Zealand uh, years ago, and uh, I actually – the first trip to New Zealand was for a lab conference with with a pro lab association, and we actually went fly fishing there. And then you and I um, realised that one another, well, I, that I did that, and that there's something you really like to do. And I promised this wouldn't be about fly fishing, but it turns I out will. it's about fly fishing a little bit. Uh, and um, so, so we are we killing the beautiful biodiversity in New Zealand by standing in the streams and and you know fly fishing? Are we doing the bad thing, or is this a wonderful thing? Oh, it's, this is a complicated – listen, there's, I mean, I'm sure there's a million um, creative metaphors that come out of this, but it's a complicated situation. Like your country, our, both our countries, um, colonial, a bunch of people show up, you know, whatever, 150 years ago, and they're just like, oh, this doesn't look like our, our place. Let's introduce some things. Um, I feel like Australia is a lot – your nation's a lot more robust as, a, as an ecosystem than ours is. Ours are very sensitive, just birds bunch of British people show up and introduce a whole bunch of things that they want here, wreak havoc on the natural environment. So the trout that we're catching are one of those things that sort of were introduced. Um, so they've already sort of wreaked a bit of havoc. Hard to know. I think it, it evens out 50-50, I'd say. 
Yeah, I, I, I think for, for me though, the experience is is a, a romantic experience. Um, it's the it's the standing in a, in a river, feeling the press of the current, and you know, trying this little trick of of trying to trick these little creatures into getting caught. Now, when they, you and I fished, down, we, we let taken downstream by the current. Getting, if you have yeah, and your waiters, losing your glasses. Yeah. Losing your glasses. Uh, um, oh my! God. Hey, look. Um, so, so let's let's bring it back to what we're here for. Um, we're going to talk about photography, and we got together because because of photography. And you told me this was going to be about fly fishing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can have we can let it interject. There's so many beautiful metaphors in it. But here's my metaphor. Okay, I think I'm I'm deeply a romantic at heart, and the arts. And by romantic, I don't mean you know chasing ladies and all that kind of stuff. I think it's the big emotional feelings that you get in response to to big, beautiful things. And the New Zealand surrounds the New, New Zealand environment, the idea of standing in a river, the idea of these mountains looking over at you when you're standing in the river. It's a, it's a very, it's a beautiful feeling and a beautiful thing. And I get, you know, quite moved by it all. Photographically, it draws me to it. And, you know, how, you know, you're a photographer. I, I, you're not, I, were you a photographer first? What, what were you first, um, first in your life? I was a baby. I was born. My parents loved each other very much, and it <laughs> resulted in me. Um, no, I like. I grew up on a. I grew up on a farm in the South Island, doing lots of outdoor stuff. You know, being out in it, out in the light. Um, and then I had like a long career in music, playing music for a long time. Um, sort of all around the world, doing all sorts of things, making records, and then I sort of I found photography when I was basically on tour in some pretty amazing places around the world and just being on tour was boring, basically. Um, and I started to shoot. I, you know, you, you sort of realise you've got access to this pretty amazing world um, behind the scenes and, and, and big, amazing old theatres and middle America and all that sort of stuff. And you're just like, oh, I'll just start taking photos. So I borrowed a camera, started taking photos. And that's um, around about when I met my lovely wife, Sophia, and she had just started doing the same thing. She was in the ad agency world. How was she? And yeah, so we both sort of started shooting at the same time. So when we met, we were just like, shit, like photography's cool. We should do that. Um, and so we were we were both kind of geeking out on it. And I think that's why, I mean, that's one of the key reasons why, like, as a couple, it works for us because we both started at the same time. Often you see couples, photography couples, there'll be one, one person who was really well-established and the other person came along and got into it. So there's always this, you know, one-two kind of relationship. So how was, many years ago? How many years ago was that that you got together? Um, that's like what? It's probably nearly twelve years ago. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I'd say nearly twelve. Yeah, twelve. Yep. and a half, twelve years ago. Um, but I'm I, twenty-five well, now, so you're basically I basically. I was like a child, <laughs> like a child. Um. No, and, and so that, that's kind of how, you know, sort of the trajectory of doing that stuff. But it's, it's, I think it's interesting that thing you talk about, like, that, you know, the romance of, of the environment and the, the current precedential and stuff. One of the things that I love about, I mean, I love about fishing, but I love about um, being outdoors is when you haven't got a camera up to your face, is being in the light and looking and seeing and all those things. And any activity that you're doing where – you, you're doing all of the seeing stuff that you usually do as a photographer, but just without without a camera, like without the bloody machine in front of your face. Is I feel like that that's just it's just con this constant education of like 
seeing the light and looking at light and seeing how things work and seeing how it works and realize that your innate sense of humanness gives you this understanding of light, which sometimes you just don't tap into. And and I that's one of the things I absolutely adore about you know like we you know you and I go fishing on a river and it's surrounded by the mountains is a beautiful thing a big crazy powerful river that lets you know who's boss and you're trying to do this difficult action and it's like it's it's very very little of it's about catching fish you know it's it's it's, it's all 100%. about yeah it's about being together we're drinking out of the bloody you know the hip flask and we're you know someone's half drowning and we're every now and then we're into a fish and it's <laughs> that's looking. me i'm the half drowner but, but like the the light the light is was is glorious was glorious on those few days when we were fishing and and you you're looking at it and you're seeing it and i think the thing that you you what you are as a photographer is is not an operator of a camera or a producer of, of, of work as much as it is, uh, you know, an understander and observer of light. And it, it sounds a bit wanky to be like you're an understander and observer of light, but I mean, that, that, surely that's the thing. That's the number one skill that you've got. And any time that you can be a photographer and be in the light without the machine, without the distraction of operating a machine, um, but just looking at light, like. You, you just find that you, you, your heart and your head and everything that you do and your skill level almost grows um, like almost just like as, as you watch it because suddenly you realize that like a lot of the part of taking photos, a lot of the task of taking photos is a distraction from the very material that you make photos out of, you know, mm -hmm. um, light. And I, I don't even know if I'm making any sense now. We're just ranting. But no, 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 you're making sense because you're talking about the things that, that are feeding your – brain that's putting all this stuff together because taking a photograph is is taking those those feelings and those moments and mashing them together in something that you can then share or show or whatever i hate that term share but you know you can take that feeling that you're getting whilst you're there and pass it on um when we were um you know when when, when you and kate so kindly came to that that workshop we had it and that, that was bloody brilliant lodge on the side of a volcano. Um, I remember we, like we were sitting around talking about like some of the things, cause you know, it's, we, we shoot lots of, lots of film, you know, lots of analog stuff. And, and I know you're, you're passionate about, about film as well. Obviously you own a lab, holy shit. Um, and like some of the things about analog principles that, that you can learn if you're, if you're a digital practitioner. And I think we, I remember us talking, sort of sussing that out, sitting around that weird table by the fire in the lodge about some of these ideas are the analog world forces you to, you know, if you've got, if you've only got 36 shots on a roll, you know, you, you don't live with your camera up to your face. You live, you live looking at light yeah, and yeah, yeah. make some good decisions about light. And I think that's, that's one of the key advantages of things you can learn from as, as an analog principle is just to look, just to like, you're a photographer, you don't need the camera, just like look and observe and see how light falls and see how it moves and see how it wraps and see how it colors. And then suddenly when you, you know, when you put your, your camera up to your face, you know what you want to do with the light, you know what you want to partner with the light to do, as opposed to just, shit, let's see what this camera sees and I'll make that my vision. Um, is that an experience thing though? Is that, that, you know, you know your gear so well that it's that, you're looking at what it's delivering. You, you've taken that in from the past. So when you pick it up, you know what it's going to do. I mean, certain amount of that has to be, because part of learning is you shoot your review. You shoot your review. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think though it, it is, yeah, all of that. It's, it's, 
like, I, you know, I remember hearing this, like Keith Richards from Rolling Stones talking about in this interview, guitar, I used to play guitar all the time, and um, talking in, in an interview about like, you know, how you, you know, your tone's in your fingers, like your tone's, your tone's not in your gear, don't worry about your gear, your tone's in your fingers and in your ears. And I was like, yeah, of course, because you've got like a, a massive collection of vintage guitars and incredible amps and five guys who take care of it for you. Of course you think that. But for the rest of us, you know, so that's, but it's, it is, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a 50, 50 thing. But I think, um, like it's, it's easy to think that being a photographer is, is about using a machine as opposed to being a photographer is about understanding, understanding light kind of like on a par with like being a chef. It's easy to think that being a chef is, um, you know, is, is using a certain machine to make food. Whereas in fact, being a chef is understanding, understanding how heat and fat and salt and acid work over and over and over together in a million different ways, you know, observing. You're talking about that, that uh, documentary salt fat. What what, what, was that a Netflix thing? Oh, um, the, I mean, the, um, Oh, there's a couple, I'm always so obsessed with chefs because I feel like chefs, chefs are this perfect. They, they sit in this perfect place in between like, um, you know, being being an artist and being a very practical like not giving sort of, people diseases, yeah, yeah. But like also like like a, in a tradesman like yes. way, like they have they have this understanding. Of like you've only got to see a working kitchen in the most incredible Michelin star restaurant, but see a working kitchen to go. Those people are working for their for their bloody crust. Like that's incredible. But they're also doing this amazing art, and at the same time they're making this art which lasts for about thirty seconds. That you look at it. And you smash the shit out. So um, no, it, it was probably like the Francis Mormon chef's table thing. I think we we're talking about um, where he talks. You know, he's just always talking about fire and how fire works and all this sort of stuff. And you're just like, oh, his his skill set as a chef is 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 food, yes. But he has this understanding of all the different kinds of fire, which is just like I've been. You're like you, you hear him talk about it, you're just like, oh, I've been I've been playing the wrong game. I've been thinking about food in a whole different way. Um, all those things, I, you know, the, the more you talk to any artist or anyone who's got a really great understanding of what they do, which is which is experience, but experience is, isn't everything because experience, there's so many people with years and years of experience of doing stuff, but there's, only, there's so few people who are actually any good at anything, you know. Oh, but, 100%. And, and you know your point, and I, I don't know if I, I didn't, like when you said 12 years, I'm like, 12 years, right, okay, because a lot of people that I deal with in the industry are like been flogging their, their little horsey for longer than 12 years, but you've gotten to a, a level with your work, and I, I don't know, you're dead right, it's got nothing to do with how long you've been at it, so there's pretty average people who've been taking pictures their entire life or playing music their entire life. It doesn't get them to that level where they're, they're up there. What, what is that, what's happening there, do you think? Oh, I, I think it is that thing, though, of like, like paying paying attention it's also the thing of like um understanding what you i mean you've heard me bang on about creative diet just so much okay okay let's let's go back let's explain that because you were saying we were both talking about the inspiration from being in the stream and being out there and the um and the, the great feeling of um of how the environment affects us there are a lot of things that influence you and i think your the creative diet is something that was kind of super keen for this to be a, a bit about you know, you're feeding yourself a lot of information from a lot of different channels. Um, this stuff is obviously helping. You know, I think y- y- your, your stuff is so beautiful. And uh, just tell us about what how you feed this creative diet and what your plan is for that, for others. Yeah. I mean, I, I think 
like the key principle in this is is that you are what you eat. Like it's it's just not even you don't even need to water that down. Like you literally are what you eat. You know what you put in yourself is going to be what comes out. And usually what happens is the stuff that comes out of you is kind of a diluted, slightly crap version of what you put in. You know because we're human beings are very good at just kind of kind of diluting the thing down, you know? Um, so, which just says that everything you put into yourself has to be as potent as you can possibly imagine. And it really doesn't matter what it is that you put in, just so long as it is potent. And I, I think, um, like at a visual level, you know, it's like, that could be anything from all the stuff that you're looking at, from films to books to, to I mean, who you follow on Instagram to whatever, but it can be anything from the people that you hang out with, the conversations that you have, the way you think about things. You know, if, if you're a photographer like me, but you're into chefs, for example, how you make that transition from being shit. We're talking about the same game. This is the same stuff. Like, um, or, or just, or keeping it, it fresh with whatever the heck, like inspirational things that is that you're putting into yourself, like, like changing it up. So you're constant. I, a lot of the game, I think, whether you see people who are really good at absorbing multi, multidisciplinary inspirational sources is that they're really good at making the connection and making the link and going, ah, that's a lesson or that's a principle or that's a thing. Or they see, you know, like the, you see an architect working with their process and with their team and you go, ah, this is, I see the thing. This is the same. We're doing the same thing. Like what can I learn? And you do this really well and all sort of stuff. I think it's, it's the connection building, which is, which is, remarkable stuff and once people get onto that buzz they're just like well this is, this is amazing like there's um you know there's an amazing story of like miles davis um you know who his uh, one of his kids was into into like like crazy metal or something like ridiculous like 80s metal and all this sort of stuff and they always thought that like it would piss him off because he's you know obviously he's miles davis and he would see them watching this stuff and just be like He'd find a thing, he'd find a reason, he'd find something that he loved, he'd find some way of being like, whoa, that drummer's like going hard at it. Because, you know, like, you know, he's a genius musician. Like, he, he's just always being, oh, I can, I can find a reason to, to, to absorb this, I can find a reason to be into this. And I think um, it's very easy, like, if your head's full of stuff, it's very easy to just dis to miss heaps of stuff because you're dismissing potential inspiration. Yeah. But if, if you're taking time to, to, to really consider stuff and look at stuff and absorb stuff and, and, and your head's not, your head and your heart aren't crazy busy. You can find all this remarkable stuff everywhere to be like, holy shit. Like I, I was talking about the experience of being like when you're a young and, and, and young and experienced, not young in age, but when you're like a young artist or a young photographer or something, but any kind of art, um, you, you can see stuff that someone else does. You know, you can look at an image for example, like if, if I'd been two years in and looked at Stephen Shaw's work, you know, any of that uncommonplace stuff, which is legacy stuff for like our industry, I'd look at that if I was two years in and I'd be like, I could do that. That's bullshit. You know, what's the, what's the big deal? Um, and the more experience you get, the more you know how to look at a thing and the more you know how to, how to figure it out to be just like, holy shit, like you can look deep, you can look to the edges, you can look at and understand what he's trying to say and what the voice is and what the execution is and be like, this is so far beyond me. This is remarkable. So I think the more you know, the more you know how to look. And it's the same thing with food. Like the more you taste, the more you know how to taste. Or the more you know how simple it's very difficult. Or, you know, like um, I, I hate to quote Mies van der Rohe, but like, you know, in the architecture thing, like, you know, the less is more thing is, it is, is so true and it's so difficult. Simple is so difficult. And, it's and it's impossible. 
Yeah, and, and it's and it's like, I mean, you, you listen to what's the most cliche music thing? You listen to a Beatles record, right? And people always go, yeah, I know the Beatles, whatever. And you're like, yeah, but when's the last time you listened to a Beatles record and you were just, you actually listened to it and were just like, holy shit, who are these guys? How did they make this stuff like however many years ago? Or you go to, um, like when we were in Europe, you know, we hit the galleries pretty hard. You know, you go to like, I don't know, pick any fantastic gallery in France or Italy or whatever. And you see the stuff from the Belle Epoque, like from that, 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 era of like just after world war one like in europe yeah. and you you see like for example like picasso or matisse or whatever and you look at it and you're just like this this is a hundred years ago they were doing this like look at this this is darling you know like insane it's just it doesn't fit into our headspace these guys were miles ahead and yeah obviously their creative diet was a very different thing and some of them were quite isolated and they didn't they actually were the original source of this information yeah like like it, it stupidly potent and stupidly um you know that they're feeding themselves this incredibly constrained diet of stuff which the result is that they make this work which is off the chart and i think our modern idea of, of how a diet works whether it's food or whether it's creative stuff or visual stuff is just like, give me fucking more shit, yes, like rain it on me, and it doesn't actually achieve anything. Like, um, so there, there's a lot to learn. For, I don't know how we got into this. There's a lot to learn. No, no, this is the creative diet. We're talking about what you put in is what you put out, and it, you're diluting it by being a human being. Yeah, and it's, it's it's like the the your natural inclination when you want to eat something because you go hard, you know. But in fact, if you get really focused, if you're really careful with curating what you're putting into yourself, you 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 can you can anticipate the result. You can curate the result, you know. Um, and it's like like we like a, we've always we've been obsessed with sort of you know Caravaggio for a long time. Um, and those sort of like golden era Dutch masters, Renaissance light, the sort of directional light I've got going on at the moment. <laughs> um, or, yeah, or, as opposed to mine. As opposed to you just like, but you still, still at least yours is accurate. Um, no, you know, and, and it doesn't take long before you start looking at a certain kind of a certain kind of light and being, oh, shit, I like that. I like that. And we're always saying to people, go back to the source, like go back to the source. Before you, you move from, you stop looking at photos and you start looking at paintings and then you start looking at, you know, like, when did people start doing this? When did this crazy directional light come from? You know, you start looking at, and, you know, whether, whether you're in the Rembrandt school or you're in the Caravaggio school, you know, but then you're like, oh, and, and what are the buildings? So then, and my next question is always, so I'm obsessed with this Caravaggio directional light stuff. Um, like, where did this light come from? What are the buildings that these people were painting? And so then you go to Italy and you go to Naples, you go whatever, and you see that the, the, the tones and you see the way the light falls and you see the high windows and all the rooms and you see all this. And you're like, ah, so more and more and more the light makes sense. And then suddenly when you've investigated that to go, I see the work and I see how the light works and I see the buildings that it was in. Suddenly, one day when that light shows up in your world, when you're someone who's like, ah, this is the thing. I see it. This is now I know how the light works. So you've gone uh, uh, like 14 steps on from just being, I want to make work that looks like this photograph, to being like, what did this photographer feed themselves to get this? 
yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and then you, you know, then you find the originator, and then you're just like, okay, well then, what? Why did they paint like that? What? Why was the light like that? What's the quality of the light? What? All these things. And I think stripping it right back to being, it's like a chef like tasting a dish and and not not tasting the sauce, but being like tasting the the terroir of the of the tomatoes, you know, and going, ah, those the tomatoes that they used to make that sauce came from this place where that farmer puts this particular dung on the soil in this book so it's, it's all of that and i think in some ways like you, you could hear someone yeah you probably hear me talking about it and be like oh what a wanky you know it's it's, it's it, you're getting too you're distilling it too much but why not that's like, exactly what else are you going to do with your life yeah you, like you've got to figure if you want to figure it out then figure it out um and I, I i what i'm certain about is that 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 you can find a thing even if this stuff feels foreign, like being so reductive feels foreign to you, you can find a thing in your life that you're naturally reductive like this about, that you're passionate about, that you like, because you're just like, oh, I just want to know about it. I just want to know. And it might be it might be something that seems inconsequential, like gaming code, or it might be it might be growing the best kale in the world, or it might be craft beers, or but if you get into it and you really are passionate, you just want to know. So you just you just keep reducing it down to be a certain thing. You know, talking about light like this is like people who talk about craft beer, for example, and talk about a certain kind of hop from a certain place that's in their favorite beer. And everyone's like, whoa, that's a bit wanky. But then once you start going down the path, you're like, oh, no, I get it. I can taste it. I, I see it, you know. Um, no, I got so- 100% good. I got, I, got a, I got a question for you. So, so you, you know, this is my wallet, right? I see it. You see it? This is not a magic trick. I'm not going to do a magic. But if I reach in here, I'll get you to explain something to me. Hang on. It's a couple of weird looking dollars, but I can find something else in here that you might be able to. I know what you've got. Oh, it's a frame from No Country for Old Men. There it is. I don't know if the viewers can see that. but So look, oh. this, is, this is an idea you put forth at the Story and Light workshop that we, um, we went to together that you, you hosted and ran with a wonderful Sophia, which we had a, an absolutely marvellous time on the top of a volcano. So this is about the diet, right? Um, yeah, it's totally about the diet. So I think we like we were talking about like talking about cinema. We're talking about it's it's very easy as a photographer to be a you you your own you're a solo operator. You you you're in your own world. You're doing your own thing. Um, and you sort of tend to make whatever you direct. But like the world of cinema, the world of movies is. It, there's a bunch of incredibly switched on people. It takes a team of 50, 100, 200 people to make a feature film. So that's No Country for Old Men, the Coen brothers, directed by the Coen brothers, and um, obviously the, the cinematographer is, is the great Roger Deakins, um, just an absolute master of, of all time um, in, in the way of crafting light and seeing light, you know. Um, and so I think we were talking about colour and tone and, and the – the importance that like, because people are always like, why film? Why shoot film? You know, it's expensive. It's 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 slow. It limits you. And and I'm always like, yeah, because it's expensive, it's slow, and it limits you. You know, um, all of your criticisms are the reason why you should. Uh, but but especially, <laughs> I think one of the big points is that like like analog film um, film has made us has calibrated us as a you know, our species has like the 20th century was such a, the, the last half of the 20th century was this remarkable time in, in, in visual history, you know, um, suddenly there's color everywhere and there's color, there's color films, there's, there's TV, there's like magazines and, and there's books with beautiful color plates and the stuff didn't exist 
like like pre-World War II, like the stuff, it just wasn't there. And then suddenly there's this explosion, and thanks to like a a few certain film stocks, you know, um, that were floating around. And and because of that, we are calibrated to see and think about colour and light and tone in the way that those film stocks captured that stuff. And it's 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 relatively the same, you know. Like Portra 400 looks very similar to, to some of those classic film stocks. I mean, like Tri-X, the, the way black and white looks is still Tri-X. It always has been, it always will be, you know. Um, and and so when you see films, feature films that are shot on film, which an enormous amount still are, um, you're you're kind of seeing this way that we're calibrated to see how color and tone works. That as, we're just stuck with it. That's what we think, and it's that same look and style and flavor that everyone's still trying to put into their still images or their, their digital still images or their digital like feature film stuff because we're just calibrated that it should look like that that saturation looks like that 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 contrast looks like that and so um that little that little cell that you're holding there i think i was so obsessed with trying to figure out some of that color and tone stuff of like deacons that i managed to acquire acquire <laughs> acquire a print a 35 mil print of, of no country for old men and, um, you know, and just and scan it to just kind of have a look. And I, I think it's also just that amazing thing of it's such a tiny, hold it up again, it's such a tiny little cell, such a tiny yeah, bloody... four frames a second. Yeah. And, like, you know, we've got two seconds there. Oh, well, like, not two seconds, but two frames. And, and like, the level of information in, like, a, in, in a thing, and you, you project that up onto this massive screen, and it looks and it looks amazing. And I think whenever, whenever anyone's just like, why film? I'm like, well, look at that. Look, oh, look at you. That's brilliant. Yeah. But I, I think that the thing to learn from that is, yes, I mean, get your buzz on and be a film geek and be, be into, you know, yes, cool, shoot analog, yes, absolutely. But the bigger thing is, like, like what, like, why are people – why do we get calibrated in a certain way? Like, it's like when you're processing stuff digitally, why does the slider – and whatever software you use, it stops at a certain point and you go, that's right, that feels right. Where did you get that from? Like, where did you get that calibration from that this is what you're you're trying to do? You know, that this is, that whatever you're doing at the moment, yes, that feels like it, that's it, scratching the itch right there. Um, and it's, it's, it's based on what you feed yourself. It's based on what you give yourself and what you pour in, like back to this creative diet thing. Like, you have to calibrate yourself with something. And like it's so easy to just roll through life being calibrated by an algorithm or being calibrated by what someone else selected for you. But if you're a visual artist, like you should be, the number one skill you should have is to be able to calibrate yourself, to be able to feed yourself some stuff that when you're either working on an idea or you're you're composing a thing or you're dealing with light, looking with light, using light, doing post production that you know you're calibrated to know this is what I'm doing. Like I'm trying to do this. So it's it's entirely like the the, the result of your of your work, what you're doing is entirely up to what you put in yourself. It's 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 a result of what you're pouring into yourself and how you're calibrating yourself. I don't think I took a breath in for about like seven minutes. <laughs> it was it was actually exactly what I was going on inside my head when I was, I actually messaged Kate and said, Hey, Dale, get me, get my wallet. Um, cause I wanted to, I wanted to, I wasn't organized. I wasn't prepared, but as we started talking about creative diet, I thought, Oh, oh my God. And, and so in many ways that how we are spending our time and, and what we're doing, I mean, you do a lot of reading, don't you? You have a lot of books, you believe in, in physical photo books and that stuff. Um, you brought a lot along to the workshop and I've seen pictures of your, your library. And actually, I've since that New Zealand trip, I've started uh, 
Well, I've always had a pretty decent library because I've inherited everything my parents gave me and everyone sort of gives me stuff because they think this is what I like. And of course, you don't, you go back to this stuff and there's something about a book sitting on the shelf. It's, it's sort of whispering at you every time you go past it. Eh, I'm here if you need me. And um, there's something about the internet and, the, and screens that are kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm so a digital internet person. I'm, there's no judgment being passed here, but there's something about a book that is singing and calling to you like, you know, the sirens called to wreck the ships. And, and it sort of wrecks your, your flow. It stops you and it takes you out of the pace that we're normally in and puts you in another world where you get to review something very different. And particularly if you buy older books where the print quality is through the roof, um, you know, they, they can't print. I mean, the Stidal Press is probably the only press in the world at the moment that's doing the quality of, of book print that we used to get all the time 20, 30 years ago. So picking up older books and using um, A books or one of those secondhand book things and gathering your own collection, getting your own diet loaded full of, you know, great photo books is, is really cool. Would you, would you agree? Could you recommend a place for people to start if they're not already a collector of photo books? Oh, like totally. Like just, I mean, just to address that thing of like, um, of the screen, stuff you know like screens versus real things and it's not you know i never want to get into like a like an anti this and this is the way you know but it's like they're two very different things and i think um if you think about i mean you know the starlight thing is a, is a classic like this this stuff here this this brilliant stuff is is it's starlight it's coming from a, a bloody star in the galaxy it's coming however long it's taken to get here I go, we, i've got the math somewhere of how far away this stuff is and how long it takes you know but it's like um it's come through the atmosphere it's it's filtered down through the clouds it's done all its thing it's come through the window right here and it's hitting hitting you in the face like it's starlight it's it's galactic stuff right and we're we're dealers in starlight you know starlight falling on things and if you opening a if you're looking at, at, at visual inspiration and you're opening the photo book and you're looking, what you're looking at is you're looking at, at a photograph of starlight falling on something and the very book that you've got is being illuminated for you by starlight falling on. You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing, like light bouncing off and into your eyes. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite a remarkable piece of physics. But a screen is this backlit stuff beaming. It's like someone shining a torch into your eyes, you know. It's beaming this weird these weird pulses of, of, of electronic light in, into your eyes. And they're very, very different things. And so it's no wonder that like the feeling of, of satisfaction and the feeling of, oh, what's, I mean, what's the word? Like the, the sense of well-being you get from, from physical things um, and looking at physical things like a, like a book, like a beautiful photo book, it's, it's natural because it, it's, you're, you're dealing with, a very natural way of things operating, you know, like the light comes in through the window, it's come from the sun, it's come through the atmosphere, it bounces off the thing and it bounces into your eyes. And um, it's no wonder that that would be a much more pleasing way to inspire yourself than, than, than through a screen. Uh, and I think that's the essential, the essential thing. Screens are very useful for a million things, but like, shit, in the inspiration game, physical things just they quickly outpace them, and it's it's not surprising. But I, I think you, you're always better to um, if you're going to start a library. Like I think, like my discoveries are are a certain thing, you know. Um, and you want to kind of have your own discoveries, but it's it's all it's always worthwhile to just check in with being 
you know, who are some absolute luminaries of our craft who have kind of said, like in the, in the music terms, who were like the Jimi Hendrixes and, and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones of photography, you know? Get yourself some of those books, and they're pretty easy to find if you start looking back at, you know, like people like Irving Penn and Richard Avedon and Diane Arbus and, you know, um, like some really classic people who established some ideas and some rules and some things. Like, you know, Saul Leiter, you talk about good print quality. Oh, yeah, Saul Leiter. Um, and, you know, but and, and right through to like, you know, to, to, to even modern luminaries like, like Todd, Todd Hedo and, you know, cats like that. Um, but there's, there's some really, really fantastic, like, luminaries of our craft people who've set the bar they've set the standard they've 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 established ways of seeing and principles of doing things which we're all we're all influenced by and 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 ripping off in a nice whatever the nice version of ripping off is um by by inspired by inspired by yeah inspired by um but yeah they've they've established these things and we're all we've absorbed them whether we know they exist or not you know i think that that is that's that's a key thing like um i always like to talk about william eggleston um you know brilliant color photography pioneer um from the south in, in in the u.s and he um you know he he has informed enormously like his color style and his composition has informed enormously any bloody cinematographer who exists whether they know it or not too um he 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 was in the right place at the right time and he fed into this tremendous um amount of cinematographers who were blossoming around the time of like well i mean you know like like you look at kubrick's work you know that's it's at reeks of eagleston all the way through to anyone who was inspired by kubrick all the way through to watching fargo you know the series like you know yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a great diet, isn't it? It's, 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 and I think your idea perhaps of not saying here is the jump-off point I recommend is really good because the fact is you're facing this great big blob, amorphous blob of great photography and you're poking at it, right? And you can poke at it from anywhere and you'll find your path. Uh, I mean, you might I, – I discovered recently that I've got a um, – I've got a thing for David Caspar Friedrich, who was a romantic painter. He did The Wanderer famously. And I think a lot of my experience of taking landscape stuff or whatever is is inspired. But I had no idea about that until I did a art for photographers course at a local, at a local college. And um, it was amazing. But that was my thing. Now, everyone's got their thing. And so, so the, the idea of encouraging people to back up their thing flip through books and on art and just find the things that they're drawn to and then drawing that line through to the photographers that were inspired by that and and start, I think understanding the references is, is it's a really honorable thing for a profession it's a yeah. really wonderful experience for a an explorer like we all are on this planet I, I think I think a key thing is so the, the first the first rule is like there's never any there's never any shame in not knowing so if you if you don't if you're not aware of, if you discover someone and you weren't aware of them, and someone makes you feel like you're an idiot for not knowing who's you, like just oh, I hate stop, that. stop hanging out with that person. Like there's there's never if 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 you're with someone and 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 they're like, oh, have you heard of this person? You're like, no. They should be like, wow, this is amazing. You're about to have your fucking mind blown. Um, like that's that's what that's the, the reaction that you should get. But like, it's. It's so easy if you're hanging out with someone that you admire or someone's work that you admire. All you have to do is ask them, 
hey, who who are you into? Like, where did you get your buzz from, you know? And they'll be like, I totally dig this. And it, that might not be the person that you end up absorbing, but just reduce it down, reduce it down. Like, um, I always tell a story of, like, when I when I used to, you know, make make records, play on other people's records. There's, like, this this Welsh, wonderful Welsh producer that I used to do some work for and with. Um, and he, there was a young musician here, you know, comes into the studio at the start of a project and, and while we're all setting up, we're all the old, the old session guys, you know, setting up and doing our thing and Greg asks this young dude, oh, like what, you know, who are you into? Like what, what do you want this thing to sound like? What, who are you listening to when you wrote, wrote these songs, you know? And I think the kid probably said something like Coldplay or whatever and we were all just like, oh my goodness. You know, which is fine if you're into Coldplay, but you know, I, I, I quite like Coldplay. I, you know, I don't know if you come into this and come into a studio and make a record and you're just like, yeah, I want to sound like Coldplay. But I mean, if, if you think about the diluting rule, you know, if you're trying to sound like Coldplay, you're always just going to make a much worse version of Coldplay. Not a good idea. And Greg's <laughs> just like, um, oh, yeah, no. So we're, we're all doing getting setting everything up, you know, it takes a bit of time for a couple of days before you do a month long thing. And Greg's like, Hey, go away and um, just figure out, see if you can find out what records Chris Martin was listening to when they made the record that you like. And so the kid comes back the next day with, you know, some other stuff a bit further down the line. And it, it just goes on for a few days where Greg's just keeps going, you know, like, go back and find out what that person was listening to when they made that. And so finally we've, we've, we've gotten to like, you know, Miles Davis and Charlie Christian and like Howling Wolf and some really like, some very rootsy all the way back at the start of rock and roll kind of stuff that, that was pretty gritty and pretty like difficult to listen to, but also amazing. And at that stage we were just like, holy shit, we can work. If this, if this is your inspiration, we can work with this. Like anything could come out of this. And I think it was just that it's that classic thing that you can do the same visually. If you find people that you admire and you find people that, that you're hanging out with or that, or, or you love their work, just email them or message them. It's, just annoy people till they respond. Someone will respond. You'll find someone kind or in a good mood at some stage. Ask them what, like, what were what were you looking at when you made this? What's your, what's your inspiration? And you'll eventually get some gold. You'll get someone who tells you this, and you get a, You just need a name to start with, someone to start with, and you can investigate that, and then investigate that, and investigate that. Well, just bloody Google five legacy photographers that I should know about that I don't. You know, and just oh, there's tons of lists. The internet's yeah, great for lists, isn't it? It's like, oh my goodness. Um, just and just follow, just follow your nose, and you'll find something at some stage where you just go, holy shit, that's a bit of me, and and start there. Just like put put your foot in the door, wedge it open, crawl your way through, and the and the massive amount of inspiration will follow. You know, you'll be like, this is something. But it's also like there's nothing like like discovering something and being like, this is this is me, as opposed to someone else saying. Because if I say, hey, here's Here's my top ten photo books that you should go and buy. Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit like it's a bit much like school, isn't it? Isn't it like school? But if you're just like, holy shit, look at this crazy thing! It's like when you're a kid and you you finally discover that you're into whatever kind of music, and you go into you go into a record store and you buy your first record and you make your decision, you decide that it's yours and you take it home and you put it on the turntable or in your in your Walkman or whatever on your phone, download it to your phone, whatever you're doing, and you're just like you're like this like. I decided that I'm putting this into me and it's kind of this crazy drug, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, totally, totally. So let's, let's just pivot um, because I'm keen to hear a little bit about like this, this podcast is not about uh, professional photography. It's not about retail. It's not about art. It's not about 
anything particularly. It's about living living with photography. But I'm I'm interested in the business side of things and what you think a photography business is look like. What does a successful photography business look like these days? Like, can you can you do it? Do you think can can everyone do it still? I think like you could totally do it. I mean, I think it's like to zoom out from that even is like what does a successful art practice look like these days? You know, Um, which which could be. I think I think like destroying the idea that, that the word art is this this high ideal. It's just like art is just making making something that makes people feel something really. Like what does a successful art practice look like? I think it just comes right back to who is your audience, what do they love, and why would they pay you to make it, you know? Um, and it's, it's such a key thing. I think if, if you're an artist in massive inverted commas, um, you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself and what you want to do and what drives you, you know? And at some stage you've got to start to think about who, like, who am I making this for? Who are these people? Do we love the same stuff? You know, um, that's the tension between the maker and the, the audience is, is, is the number one tension in art. And when you can get this sweet sort of walking hand in hand through the fields of that thing going on, you've got, you have got like, a level of satisfaction in what you're making that's amazing. You have got like a sustainable economic model that's amazing. You you know you've got longevity that's amazing. But it's, it's so often people aren't in step with the audience, or the audience isn't in step with them. You know they're either they're either playing to the audience too much and just making something just for the audience, or they're making something bizarre and demanding that the audience is into it, or they've got no audience or whatever. But it's, you know, ultimately, like you, you want to find people who love the same stuff as you. You want to find people who are switched on by the same stuff as you, and they don't even need to know why. You know, people don't need to like someone who makes a great hit record. Their their audience who loves it, who is the soundtrack of their summer. They, their audience doesn't need to know that they were inspired by Howling Wolf. They don't care. They just need to be into it. It doesn't really matter how they made it. They're just like, they'll probably be into Howling Wolf if someone's like, shit, you're into this because you love this, you know. But they just need to find, like, like people who love the same stuff. Like, when you're making this thing that you love to make and you find some people who love to look at it or love to listen to it and just go, shit, this makes me come alive. Where has this been all my life? you found your people. you found your audience. And those people will, will pay you to make the stuff that makes them feel like they come alive. And I think that's the essential economic model behind selling art and making art is you've got to find your audience and you've got to continue to, to make them feel alive. You can, you can lead them forward. You can be two steps ahead of them and be like, follow me. Look, you're actually, if you love that, you're going to love this, you know. Um, back to that chef example, it's like going to a great restaurant, you know, and you're eating something and the chef comes out the kitchen and is just like, if you love that, let me bring you something from the kitchen. Holy, this is going to blow your mind. Like that's a wild experience and it, and it doesn't have to be this crazy Michelin star next level crazy money experience. You can have that. At a like, food, Zane. like Zane. Like Zane. Like, like, like he a, had a Michelin star. Well, he'd been at a Michelin star restaurant in Europe and he had came cooked for us at the workshop, which, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I derailed you. No, that's good. Like no, no one, cared, no one cared about what, what we we're doing at the workshop. They're just like, will Zane still be here in yeah, the morning? What's Zane uh, doing? Because we had to move because we we're about to be snowed in, um, oh. and we had to move the workshop, which you guys did in like an hour and a half. I don't know. It was just worked out and done. Sophia was like pedaling like a little duck in the background. Just made it all happen. 
you know? Incredible. Well, thank, well, thanks to having a fantastic crew of everyone who's just like, yo, we can do this, including you guys, you and Kate. Bloody hell. But it was the audience. This is the, you just said it. I mean, your, your business has pivoted a bit. You're doing a little bit more of this education stuff with people or community building stuff. Look, I can't imagine there's any money in it, frankly, in the as a business. But in many ways, it was it's people who know you. And some of these people probably would be your customers as well as people who are interested in your photography, you know, interested in your ideas about photography. I'm sure some of them have paid you. Um, as as customers so i think it's broader than that because you know you tell 10 people and if you do it well those 10 people tell 10 people and suddenly you've got this viral like explosion of what you know so it is a it's it's a bigger thing the workshop than just running an education thing for people it's 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 much more than that so you know as as a follower of your brand and somebody's interested in the bailey moore um and two wonderful people in in yourself and sophia um we did this and we pivoted with you on that workshop through the difficult that it was and the uncertainty that it was. And we followed you down the mountain to a weird fishing lodge with, with, with weird hot springs and, a, and, a, and with a weird owners. And we just did it and it was fun. It was so this is the thing. What I want to ask you though is like you've got an audience, 12 years have made a, a pretty cool audience that's sustaining you too. And you've got a thing going. There's a lot of people out there who are like, oh my God, everything. And of course, everything's changed with our COVID-19, you know, the Ronaville we live in. Making your audience. I mean, we're going to emerge from this cave soon enough, six months, whatever. Um, we're going to like keep our audience together. We're going to try and build our audience as a, as a lab. And I'm sure you're going to try and do that. Like, how do these people get their audience? How do they keep growing it and expanding it? And how do they find those people that are going to follow them a little bit? What's what's any advice for them? Oh, I mean, I, I think I think the the more valuable thing to think about is not how, but it's like how do you how do you not? Here's how you don't do it. You don't do it by being generic. You don't do it by being just a bit of everything else. You don't do it by being a bit. It's like when you mix a whole bunch of colors together, you just get brown, right? Like what you what you, what you you do is you, you, you figure out what you love. You figure out what you're on about. You figure out what makes you feel alive. And if you can really get your finger on it to go, shit, that makes me feel, that's, that's what I want to do with my life. That makes me feel wonderful. That makes me feel something. That makes me feel good to make it. It makes me feel good to look at it. Um, if you can, if you, Figure that out for yourself, which takes a, quite a bit of self, you know, reflection, of, as a, a lot of honesty, a lot of, you know, being willing to grapple with yourself in the in the dark of the night, um, so so to speak. Um, I'm cool with that. <laughs> but yeah, if you could get that right, then here's the thing, right? There's pe there's people like you who 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 are who are somewhere on that trajectory, who maybe haven't grappled with it like you have, but who feel the same things as you, who love the same things as you. They're your audience because if you can find an audience that you don't have to fake it for, you don't have to put up a facade for, um, you can just be yourself. And which is called, um, I mean, I think, which is called hashtag be authentic, uh, hashtag genuine. Um, no, but it's like before, that sounds before, so disingenuous. It's terrible, isn't it? It's just like before we came up with the hashtags for the stuff, it was just called like just being honest or being yourself or not feeling like you were selling stuff to someone. Like, have you ever been in that situation where you, um, you, you really, you came across a thing, right? 
a product or a thing, someone who was making a thing that solved this problem that you had, that you'd had for ages and you just wished that someone made this or you'd sat, lay in bed at night just thinking, if I had the skill, I would engineer this thing or I would sew this, whatever, I'd make this. And then one day you come across someone who's, who's making it and you're just like, I love you. Like you, like we are the same. Like, except you have some kind of skill set that means you've solved the problem. And you're just like, how much is the thing? How many thousands of dollars do you need from me? This is amazing. And they're like, it's $7.50. And you're like, I'll give you $700 just because I love you. Because this is a, I thought you didn't exist. This is amazing. Like, that's it. So, so there, there's this idea that, like, people um, – that, that, that you're, you're tricking people out of their money, right, when you're selling something that makes them feel wonderful. But, like, for so many people with so many things, like, they've got this U-shaped hole going on where one day you come along making the stuff that you make and they're just like, about time, like, yes, like, this is the shit that I want. Um, yeah, it, and it's like it's the, like I, for us, like with photography stuff, like we use, you know, we shoot a bunch of medium format stuff on old, beat up old Rollflex cameras. One in particular that just puts massive deep scratches through every neg, and I just can't figure out why. <laughs> as as you guys know, who like are forever like being, hey, you know this, you know the camera that puts the scratches and the rolls, like and just, use it thought about like yeah fixing that or because we can't retouch them out anymore but you know and and it's 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 a, it's a difficult thing to focus and it's a shit half the time anyway i found we've found an audience of people who but for some reason i love it, it, it there's a thing about it which i'm just like oh that's that that scratches the spot you know um and it's stupid to love it except for you find you come across some other people who just go i love that thing too like can can you make some scratchy, slightly out of focus, weird, old camera shit for me too? Where like we'll shoot five rolls and only one frame will work, and I'll st I'll just be like, that's it. That's like so it's it's the thing, you know. And uh, and uh, people who don't get it are just like, yeah, that's dumb. And you're like, cool, keep moving. But yeah, they're not your people, are they? That's, that's I mean, not... people who get it. They look you in the eye slightly longer than is comfortable, and they're just like they're like. You're my people. Like this is some this is some stuff. And there's a good chance that that your trajectory as you're growing in your little art experience and walk here is the same as theirs. And so once you've found them, you will be on this little journey together for quite a while. You know. Hopefully, I think the goal as an artist is to be a little bit of a leader. So hopefully, you can lead people through this stuff where you're, you're two steps ahead. Where they're like, there's nothing better than someone being like. I didn't know that I would love this as much as I love it, but I love it. Yeah. And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. I remember what that felt like because that was me like three months ago. And I've just found some other crazy shit too. You know, and so you, you're always just slightly ahead of – That's a, it's wonderful when you find someone like that who can lead you through a thing. And it's wonderful, you know, to be there for someone else as well. So I think there's – you know, all the stuff is talking about an audience. How do you how do you have an art practice that makes you know that, that that's economically sustainable as well as creatively sustainable? And I think it's it's just solely if you can find your audience, um, you can make what you love. But you have to know what makes you tick. You have to know what you love to make. You know, otherwise you're just trying to guess what an audience is going to like. And that goes down the road of faking it really quickly. It really does. It does. You know, you look. I mean, tr the trouble is though, in early days in your practice. 
you have to you have to do a little bit of that because you've got to target it somewhere. You know, I mean, if you don't know yourself, it's it's fine if you've got a second job. And this is where I think it's it's wonderful for people to have a second job uh, so that they can take it easy and not force it out of their photography. But a lot of people are in the photography world and they it's not prepared to take a second job and their audience has sort of evaporated a little bit and you know, they're the people that I personally worry about a lot because they're really good, but in the process of trying to make it work as a business, they're flogging themselves and, um, you know, and it's really, it's hard and they, they come out of it going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And, you know, those that are change, uh, changeable will go, okay, I'm, I need to substitute my income with something else. Those that aren't, they kind of keep working on it and, you know... That's what I that's what I worry about with downturns, economic downturns, and that where people are, are, are sort of lacking lacking the free money to do some interesting things, um, and, and it's a bit of a challenge we're all sitting at right now. Yeah, I, I think too. It's it's you know be wary. Like it's it's fine for me to say this, you know, but like being whatever ten or twelve years in, you know, like, like it's it's fine. But and of course, all of these things that I'd say you'd say from experience. But like, if you're if you're two or three years, and your battle is very is very different, and it, it is trying to figure out how you can find out what you're on about, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, at the same time as needing to make money to pay the rent and all these other things that you're juggling. And it's it's very easy to sit sort of from a point of experience with an established brand and say this is how you do it, which is bullshit. Like the the key you keep you key people to find. Are the, are the person who's just solved a problem that you're trying to solve at the moment. And often that's someone who's a year ahead of you in the game, not someone who's 10 years or 20 years ahead of you in the game. Like if you can find that person, they they still know what the pain was like to try and figure out how do I how do I move from, you know, how do I move my average invoice from being $300 to $500 or $500 to $800 or how do I move from shooting this kind of thing to shooting this kind of thing that I really like, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like the person who's just solved that problem is the one who can help you. So you almost need to figure out if, you, if, you try, if you're trying to move ahead, um, which everyone should be trying to move ahead, um, you always kind of want to have two flavors of people in your world. You want to have people who are, who are kind of, like advanced and making the work that you are like, oh, that's I can that's the goal off in the future. I can see that, and I can see how they operate, and I can see the things they talk about, and I can see their you know their inspirations and their processes, and yeah, yeah. But then there's you right now, and you want the other person that you need is you need someone in your world who is just one step ahead of you, you know, a bit of a compadre, but you know, someone who's just just getting over the humps that you can see are coming up on the horizon. Um, and those two things mean that you've got this wonderful goal of someone who can have influence on you who's just like thinking big things and talking big things and talking big principles, which is fantastic, but also doesn't help you with like, holy shit, I need to let book this stuff next week or I'm not going to pay the rent. Um, so you need those sort of two, two flavors. Of, I don't even know how we've gone to this. You, you need those two flavors of people to help you to do what you do. And if it's the thing, yeah, if, if you like – if you need, if you take a second job or if photography is your second job or if you're just doing it, whatever, just you do whatever it does to, to, to get it done. You know, like it's it's like when you hit a recession and you hit times like we're probably about to hit, um, it really separates, you know, people who people who who are sustained by their craft and by their passion from people who are like, I'm looking for a way to make money. Um, and 
sometimes people get into to doing stuff because like, oh, that looks like an easy way to make money. That looks like, you know, I can do something that I kind of enjoy, you know, and I can make some good money here. And as soon as the money dries up, they go, oh, I don't kind of enjoy this as much as I did. Um, so you, you, you want to be doing the thing that you'd be doing even if you had to pay someone to do it. If you had to pay to go and take photos every week at a class, you know, then probably you should be a photographer because you're, you're going to be into it. But if you're just like, sure, I need this thing to like, to, to, to give me a conveyor belt of cash. When tough times show up and the cash dries up, yeah. you're going to be like, hmm, maybe this wasn't my thing after all. And the same goes for if you play music, the same goes for if you enjoy food, the same, all these other, all these other metaphors and analogies that we've, we've kind of had, you know? So, you, you want to be really put together with this stuff. That the, the, the bottom line is that when if, if, if shit hits the fan in the next year and we're all broke, that the thing that sustains us is that we're going out to take photos because it's good for our soul. Then you're just like, you're back the right horse. This is you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- I think we're getting a – if if we do get a, um, a shutdown or a quiet down, because you guys are in full lockdown now, there is an opportunity to think about what your business might look like on the other side. Um there is an opportunity to take changes on. There's an opportunity to just look a bit broader than what you you thought you could do, and um and maybe reform things. We very rarely in in our lives get a pause time, and like especially in I mean I don't want to sound like an old guy being in these modern times, but um like there's so much stuff going on. You know we're exposed to so much constant stuff and activity and content and the stream of the eternal scroll and all sort of stuff. It is very rare to just go, wait a sec, you can just shut it off because it currently doesn't matter and you can figure out what you want to do. We always have a saying, you know, um, with, with, you know, mental stuff that we're doing and everything, which is like build yourself, not your brand, which is not to say you don't build your brand, but it's, it's basically an idea that um, you can't take your brand in a place that you haven't been yourself. And so you you need to really put yourself through through the ring out through the fire and the heat of a thing and really know what you think about a thing and how you feel about a thing before you can transform your brand into that. And you see a lot of people with multiple brands and businesses doing all these different things. And you're just like you you obviously feel really comfortable with one of these things and everything else you're just kind of faking it for your audience, which is fine. But like. Pretty much the, the thing, you'll make the best decisions in the business that you feel the most comfortable with or the brand that you feel, that feels like you, you know, that feels like, you know, I understand this and I understand the people who are, like we were saying before about audience, like you understand the people who are, who are, um, who are eating that brand, you know, who are consuming it because they're you and they love the same stuff. You don't have to think, what would, the, what would they like? You can just be like, I love this. And these are my people, so you do this. So I think in times like this, it gives you a chance to to to, um, to essentially stop and hit pause on a lot of things, and take a good hard look at yourself, at what you love, at what sustains you, um, and who your people are, um, and and figure that out. And it, it sounds really obvious to do, right? But um, it's amazing how many people don't do that because sometimes it's a bit hard to grapple with yourself and to grapple with what you love, you know, and you can feel a bit lost and you can feel a bit like, shit, I just don't know. Or currently I just feel tired or, you know, a bit dead to it. Whatever. But you just sit with it, just figure it out, just feed yourself a bit of good stuff. You, you know, you'll push it through. But sometimes like that thing we were talking about, about inspiration and content, content, hashtag content, um, is that if you've just been like, 
showering crap on yourself for a while, so much stuff that the world feeds you, eventually the way to cope with that is you just kind of switch off. So you just need to turn the shower off and you'll switch back on again after a while and then just start feeding yourself small amounts of very good stuff that sustains you. And before you know it, you'll be like, I know it. I get me I get me again. I understand me again. Now I understand what I'm trying to do with this business I've got. And you're away. So a lot of that stuff is the best business advice you can get is just switch off all the sources for a week or, or three weeks, you know. I love it. Well, my friend, we're just over the hour. I think we should – Wrap it up. Okay. You, you reckon, is it time to wrap it up? Do you have anything, um, any parting thoughts you're thinking? Oh, I, yeah, I reckon, like, it's it's very easy just to address this, you know, not not this virus thing, because, you know, next week it'll all change and it'll be, it's a fast-moving landscape. But just more this, the idea of if you're in business, like, tough times are going to come. If you're an artist, tough times are going to come eventually. And it might be caused by a global pandemic. It might be caused by a recession. It might be caused by a family thing. It, who knows? You're going to hit some tough times. And I think the key is, um, is, is to build some resilience, is to just be calm, be decisive, and just zoom out from your situation. Artists are really good at looking in their silos, seeing things in their silo. And if you can zoom out of that and have a think about how does this work again? How does a business model work? How does making stuff work? How does just ask yourself how it works again? What you know? It's really really healthy. Like um, there's a, there's an economist that like you know I read and listen to podcasting every now and then, and I find it amazing because I'm just I'm not a numbers sort of a dude. But you hear an economist ask about problems like a recession and all they ask is like where does the money come from next where does the money come from like how does the money show up in in our economy like what are we selling where does it come and and whenever they start to explain it suddenly they're just like money there's always there's always money moving around it's going to be fine this thing happens or that thing happens and the people who are doing really well figure out oh that's where the money comes from okay I see. And it's really easy to, to, to get put your blinders on and just see your very small little part. Just zoom out. I think that's what I'm saying. If I could yeah. give you some business advice and some art advice, if times get tough, hit pause and zoom out. See a bigger picture. Well, that's cool, and it's a very photographic metaphor. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, look, um, there's no reason why we don't hook up for this chat again and, and continue it another day. But... Um, I'll um, well, you can save that for another day. There's plenty to talk about. You and I could talk for hours about a, a gazillion me. things. Um, but thank you so much, Sai. It's been amazing, and thanks, Sophia, for you know you're sitting at home together, no doubt, <laughs> squashed together. So maybe she's enjoying the five minutes where or this hour that we've been apart. But please thank her too, because I know she's a big part of what you do and and how you do it, and she's a part of the generosity that you guys bring out to the industry and. You know, we, we absolutely love it. And um, it's just so pleased to have such nice friends in New Zealand. It's clearly a lovely country. Everyone we meet's great. So what's the story? Yeah. You, guys, you guys need to come back. Obviously, desperately, you need to come back. If there is going to be a big shutdown on the horizon, we need to get you here so we can Shut get us in that lodge on the side of the volcano together. Yeah, I'm voting for us to be called Big Island. And you've got North Island, South Island, we're Big Island, and Jacinta can look after us all, and everything will be fine. It'll be fine. It's, Mum will take care of us. Yes, Mum will. All right, my friends. All right, much Stay love. Stay safe. See you soon. Comes, 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 comes.
Okay. So, what did you think of the Simon Paul? Like, this is my first, well, it's not my first solo interview, but it certainly was the first one with our new deck and system and, and technology and the video. he's looking at. <coughs> the video I was looking at. What did you think? I thought it was very good. I thought you two clearly need to go fishing again. Yeah, totally. It's very cute. Totally. I've actually your fishing got obsession. Yeah, come on, show us your thing. You have to watch the video for this, kids. You're this not going to get this in the podcast. This, this is, is my practice fly rod. It's got nothing on the end of it, right? It. Yeah, it has. It's got a little um, pretend What's fly. What's it got on the end so of it? So I can it? practice casting Jesus, the room here. that scares me just looking at it. I know, it's cute. So, oh, no. So what do you do with it? You practice fly fishing. Right. Okay. Anyway. With no fish and no rivers because we're in fucking Australia we and there's have, no fucking water here. We have brown trout here. This is pretty. Brown trout. Oh, that sounds delicious. Okay. Brown trout. What Jesus was your takeaway? What did you learn from this? Because you listened to it, uh, didn't you? Yes, of course. I listened to it, you <laughs> I listened to it and I thought it was great. I mean, look, I think Sai is. Sai is a special creature because. He's an enigma too. He's a fucking enigma. He is. He is um, because he's – you meet him and you think, Jesus Christ, he's so cool and he's so lovely. But he's actually he actually is genuinely lovely. Like he actually is a lovely man. And his coolness levels are ridiculous. But he's not mean cool. He's sort of like, do you know, my – as we sometimes call him, my Tuesday husband. That's oh a long story. But um, – there's this fabulous podcaster, singer, person, um, John Roderick, and he will put that in there. That is a podcast we've been listening to for like 11 years. Yeah, so we'd highly recommend you look <laughs> in the show notes and listen to Roderick on the line. Roderick on the line is the greatest. Anyway, so he once said that the thing that he he would compare Bowie and the Rolling Stones and he said the difference between Bowie and the Rolling Stones is that the Rolling Stones are like, yeah, we're so cool. You're not fucking cool enough to hang out with us. And Bowie was like, hey, I'm so cool. Come be cool with me. Let's be cool together. And it's like that's, I think, the psi factor. He's a Bowie, not a Stones. Like he's not, you know, like I've met photographers that are so cool that you just want to crawl back into the hole you came out of and never come out again. Like yeah, he, he's super generous. He's not like that. He's, he's the kind of guy that where you just kind of, you want to hang out with him and he wants you to and he's genuinely finds something interesting and lovely in every person. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure there are people he doesn't like. He's not a fucking saint, let's face it. But <laughs> his wife might be. Although think, she is very so intimidating because she's very quiet and when people are very quiet, I get even fucking louder and I tortured her for that entire weekend while you were bloody fishing because yes. I was like, Whoa! you know, poor little ears. But yeah. she's one of these silent but deadly. She's the one... She's the one that'll rip you apart if you get into trouble. I don't think so. I think she's yeah she's behind just every nice man. Anyway, there's a woman like me, yeah. smacking heads. So tell me, uh, you're looking resplendent. Oh in, fuck in me! White Look today. at you trying to change the topic. Look, oh, I'm a radio man making radio noises. She's <laughs> looking <laughs> resplendent in white. I'm today. resplendent in white today, which you can't see because you're not fucking watching this thing. Apparently, it's a nice white. What would you call that? This is a dress. Right, it's a dress. <laughs> oh, it's a <laughs> shirt dress or a skirt. It's a shirt dress. It has pockets, which we all know. Ladies need to put the only thing the that fucking matters is if the damn thing's got pockets. Keep your it's phone got pockets. In. Yeah, and your hair looks fabulous. Thank too. you. Wash day. So why are you? Oh, okay. So why are you wearing? Because. White? Oh, hang on. Hang on. No, no. Let me. You can do it. Let me. Okay. Because, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, at the beginning, uh, at the end of every podcast, we are going to have what we are calling 
Our moment of colour. Our moment of colour. And we're doing that because we've got this beautiful this book. This beautiful book. And it's thanks to... Which you can to see when you watch this, which you won't. Yeah. Which is called The Secret Lives of Colour by, by Cassia, Cassia Sinclair. Sinclair. Now, this has been recommended to me by Gavin Blake. Gavin and Blake. I, I got a copy pretty quickly. And we're going to work through interesting colours We're going to start at the beginning. No, we're going to start at the beginning. Oh, okay. We're going to be logical with it, are we? Oh, well, fuck me. I mean, okay, well, we don't have to. So I don't care. We're going to talk about... But the thing is that I need to wear an outfit that matches each of the colours. And there are how many colours in this book? Lots. And that means I get outfits that I can claim on tax, right? Oh, I see. <laughs> right? Whatever. Just as long as the ATO is not listening, that's fine. Okay. So It's a marketing course. So I'm going to talk about a couple of little white facts, okay? White. So the, the original white paint was lead white paint. Right? Which would have been just great for everybody's great. brains. Let, let, me, let me read how it was originally made. Strips of lead were placed in a compartment inside a specially designed clay pot that was divided into vinegars poured into one half and then the pots were surrounded with animal dung exciting, and placed inside a shed with a tightly fitting door for 30 days. During that time, a relatively simple chemical reaction would take place. Fumes from the vinegar reacted with the lead to form lead acetate. You've seen that white powdery stuff that appears on... Oh, you don't fish. On lead? Yeah, lead sinkers and that kind of stuff. Why would I fish? As the dung fermented, it let off CO2, which is another thing that dung lets off, which in turn reacted with the acetate, turning it into carbonate. But hang on, didn't they also make a thing that you would... That the the ladies. Oh yeah, yeah, it's makeup. Yeah. Like, okay, so let me read. Is that fucked up let, all let their me faces? read what happens to okay. the lead workers as described. All right, kids, Dad's going to read now. Okay, the accidents to the workmen are these: are the workmen who work with lead yeah. and and actually made lead, immediate pain in the stomach with exceeding contortions in the guts and costiveness that yields not to cathartics. It brings. Them also to acute fevers and great <gasps> asthmas or shortness of breath. Oh, Next, a vertigo oh. or dizziness in the head with continual great pain in the bowels, blindness, stupidity and paralytic afflictions, loss of appetite, sickness and frequent vomitings generally of sincere phlegm, sometimes mixed <laughs> with colour to the extremist, weakening the body. Should so, we have done a trigger warning on any of that? I know, isn't that terrible? So this is what you get from wearing lead makeup, okay? So that's lead, white. What about white wash? Are you, you doing know? two colours? No, 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 it's all white. It's all around white. This is a bit of the history of white. I'm going to do three things about white, okay? True. I thought we were just going to do one thing. We're going to do three things about white. Ah, oh, you're breaking the system. We haven't bored. even made a bloody system yet. So whitewash. Well, see, whitewash was used as a paint, right? A very light, loose, cheap paint, but it was a disinfectant. Because whitewash is made from the mixture of lime, crushed and heated limestone, and calcium chloride or salt combined with water. So it's a really basic thing. And they wash down during the areas. Uh, actually, I think it was used during the, the last great viral infection. Um, they would whitewash the inter- interiors of hospitals and that kind of stuff ah. because it helped stop the bacteria, which is kind of cool. Mm. And chalk. The last one I'm going to mention here is chalk. Mm-hmm. Have a guess what chalk is made out of. Oh, like ground up dolphins. Oh, you're very close. Oh no, <laughs> very very close. Coccolithopores, uh, uh, which are sea creatures, single cell sea creatures. They are actually not dolphins particularly. No, but they're sea creatures. They don't, they don't form right. lifelong bonds. Come on. And so chalk is a, okay, is a great so white, and we just think chalk. So is chalk a, is not vegan then. Oh, no, it isn't, isn't ah. it? It's sea creatures. Um, Chalk's not vegan. And um, so it was used, you know, not only for chalkboards, but it was used 
uh, in oil paint because it was a really great translucent white. So some of the effects of oil painting that you see with those translucent whites were made with mixing chalk into it. And some of it was used like a, a base where they could make it like a plaster of Paris type of putty underneath paintings. And so it, it often caused... Uh, a longer life to the oils on the substrate because it created a barrier between whatever they're painting on and the, and the wow. oils. So chalk's pretty cool. So um um that's that's the white. But I thought. And how I'd does this relate to photographers? They're all like, we oh, don't okay. paint shit. We don't care. I know because you like color. Well, what, what where it comes up for me and thinking about it is uh, the white of the white on your paper on your photographic paper. Uh, that often has something in it called optical brightness. And and if I just hold up these. Two things here. I don't know. You might not Oh, yeah, that's going to work great on Yeah, it won't video. in the video. But, you know, you go to a hardware store and look at paint chips and look at all the different whites. Some whites are kind of so white. In absence of the other whites, you just say that's white. But when you put them together, you go, oh, my God, that's a really bright white. And they have things in them called optical brightness. Yeah. And optical brightness is a chemical reaction that takes the ultraviolet light that's coming from the atmosphere and bounces off the original and actually seems to push out more light visibly to our eyes than you'd expect. But isn't so it just making it bluer? It blue, It does have a, a bluish effect. So those really blue, blue whites. And if you look at a dishwashing, no, a um, laundry detergent, yeah. you see the little flecks of blue in it. And they used to have those blue tablets that you the put in with The blue tablets or blue-o, which yeah. you can still buy, which you drop in, it makes your whites whiter. It's, it's a bluing effect that makes it. And, and for the ladies out there who, or gents, whatever, who are going grey, what you do when you get really long hair that's grey yeah. or if you happen to still be a smoker, then your hair will go yellow and you have to put in a purple. Is that why purple rinse was a thing? Purple rinse was a thing. For smoking because, old ladies. Because the smoking old ladies got Far bloody out. yellow hair, which is gross. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so on the optical brightness, yes, they do fade. Uh, now, they don't fade as in it ruins your picture. It goes back to... Uh, sort of a warmer white, and it doesn't destroy the colours particularly. Uh, but doesn't it, it then make your picture look more it, it go, warm? It, it, go, it goes warmer over time. Uh, and so when you see a really, really bright white, which actually a really, really bright white gives you the broadest colour gamut. So if you think of a, a lustre or a gloss or a metallic or something like that, quite often they've got a really intense white. It's got optical brightness that will actually dull off a little bit in that sort of 40, 50-year But lustre, but our... You don't mean broad when you say because luster is not broad in comparison to master fine art. No, no, no. Um, now I'm getting complicated. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't okay. add that to it. Just, just the paper has a has a bluing agent, a, a, an optical brightener, a whitening agent in it that expands the colour gamut. So effectively, as it ages, that colour gamut will shrink. You never see it unless you keep the same print, one in the dark and one on display, and then compare them after. 10, 20 years, whatever, you're never going to see the effect. Yeah. Where you see it is when you're standing and looking at paper white, say, in our fine art, master fine art printing room, and you're looking at all the colours of white. You go, oh, my God. Well, they can see it in their sample pack. If people have a sample pack from us with their paper yes. pack, yeah. they'll have all the different papers. And if you turn them over yep. so you can't see the picture, you'll actually get a really good example. And I sometimes do it when I'm showing people the paper pack. You'll get a really good example of the different kinds of, of colours that each of the paper actually are. Even though they're all white, they all have a slightly different yeah. base tone. It's frustrating, isn't it? But look, don't be concerned about it. It's not about your prints are going to look you know, rotten in, in a short amount of time. It's just a natural thing about paper and optical brightness that happens. By choosing something like smooth cotton, it's got less optical brightness in it than, say, a mad art has, but it's a more expensive paper. Um, so anyway, that's it. Have oh, we look got at you, else? wrapping it up. I know. Wrapping wrap it, up. it up. 
So um, we we'd like to else? wish you good luck. So what are we going to do next time? I don't know. We'll we find out next time. We need time. to find a person. Thank you for listening. And please, what do we do? We rate. Oh, don't forget to like and subscribe and rate us. Like? Where are they going to fucking like it? They don't on have to YouTube. like it. YouTube. They have to like it because if you bloody go on there and like rate us like one star, I'm going to cry. Okay, like so baby. we want five star ratings. What you ask for. Yeah. Or if no, you don't like no, it, rate it switch that shit off and go away. Don't be telling me about your I don't complaints. care what they want to rate. If they put it, give us a star. No, no, no. You idiot. Stop it. They have to give us five stars only. We're only using five stars. Don't. Do whatever you no. want. Thank you for listening. See you next time.